0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan
1: Connolly and Mark Fine.
0: Good everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast Summer Edition. And uh, it's good to be able to say Summer Edition and actually get a bit of a taste of summer uh, if you're listening to this in Melbourne, of course. If you're listening elsewhere in Australia, I know it's been bloody hot and oppressive and all that certainly hasn't been the case in Victoria. But um, summer is with us, at least temporarily, I think. Another change coming through and another week of uh, pretty ordinary weather looming. Um, but uh, a very good moment to say hello to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How, How are you, Fine? I'm
2: good. Yeah, it is hot. To, well, it's going to be hot today, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have my first swim in... Oh, in your
0: new pool. Well, not new... Yeah, it's not a new pool, but in the pool in our new place. So, Lovely. today's the day... Yes, we had the pool cleaner come around to ours the other day, so it's actually in reasonable nick. And I did uh, hop in briefly yesterday. That first swim, I warn you, that first swim of the new season, the water is always icy. But uh, I think today's a good day for it to be icy.
2: I do. You know what today's a good day
0: for? Me. What, a hamburger? I, you see,
2: I am such a hamburger and milkshake on a hot day, man. Yeah. I know you spoke about it. I think it was cold last week, so we almost had to do a winter version of the program. Yeah. But I really love it. It's from my days back on the Gold Coast when, on um, Surface Paradise, there used to be a a burger place actually on the sand, on the beach. Oh, really? And I just remember chocolate. A pop-up and... burger
0: place? Or no, was... no. It was sort yeah.
2: of a, a regular, permanent structure. It was funny, the Gold Coast, the Surface Paradise. There was that. There was a guy that used. To, he was he was dark skinned, but he was not a dark skinned man. Mm, and he just used had to sp- sun. well, he used to spray people with copper tone oil, like no oh, yeah. no SPF whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And he had that gun and sprayed you. Yeah. And there was the bigs radio, and every fifteen minutes it'd say, "Time to turn, so you don't burn." <laughs> no, really? But the should. burger and milkshake to me was everything good about summer holidays, and the burger back there was a real burger, just like Andrew's hamburgers. I, I really, if you're going to the beach, one forty-four Bridport Street, Albert Park, why not pick up a burger, a on beautiful chocolate milkshake, and some chips?
1: Mm.
2: Nothing like
0: if fit- they do milkshakes. Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I believe they do. Okay, I don't know about milk in hot weather. It always makes me think. It's, got, of, it's yeah, it could be drunk quickly. Well, it makes me think of Will Ferrell in Anchorman. There's a scene there where he's, (laughs) Um, but
2: I don't reckon it's a summer day unless you get a bit of sand in your chips.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you've got an extra serve of chicken salt, you probably can't tell the difference really. Probably just spices. I don't mind the old chicken salt. I should have been brought brought up in Adelaide. We've had that discussion.
2: Are you with me on? A beautiful Andrews oh,
0: burger down at the beach. The buns, finey. You and your buns. The buns to die for, the tender meat patties, the crisp lettuce, the freshly cut tomato with the, the water just dripping off. How do they get the cheese to melt
2: perfectly over the burger patty? I've d- I, when I make burgers at home for the kids, mm. I do know the trick, by the way. I'm, it was a rhetorical question.
0: Do you know how you do it? Uh, well, I don't care if the cheese sort of goes everywhere. I like no, cheese. it is
2: it's good. But I'm saying that perfect melt, that yeah. just, which they get no. Well, every how do you dom- do it? I do it. They probably have a a more uh, speed efficient method. But I do it. You know those little silver bowls? You get them in all different sizes, from huge ones down to small ones. Yeah. If you flip one of those on top of your burger, mm. just as you put your cheese on, yeah, on the barbecue or on the even in the fry pan at home, yeah, it creates that little dome and that's when you get the melt
0: you get a cheese dime
2: yeah a melted cheese okay. a melted cheese cap.
0: Yeah, well it's good to see the cheese uh, a nice colour too you know, like oh, not the, that, F, not that, that orangey, iridescent orange that Donald Trumpish orange, <laughs> orange. <get> the orange <laughs> Donald Trump cheese <laughs> No, they are beautiful hamburgers and we encourage you strongly to get down to Andrew's Hamburgers 144 Bridport Street Albert Park, where you can also check out some of the work of Nick Spartel's and Hardwick Bilko
2: I say this, work hard save judiciously and you'll be able to afford a Nick Spartel and Hardwick Bilco. That's not to say it's expensive, by the way, but it is top-end. Mm. And you want those top-end fittings, and it's not impossible. It's mm. not impossible that one of our very, one of our many loyal listeners out there is looking for a, a beautiful home, and there's where Nick Spartel and Hardwick Bilco
0: step in. And which listener uh, is that? I don't know his name. Oh, okay. All right. I was going to say, too, just re-Andrew's hamburgers, so you might have noticed that story, controversy brewing about Grilled, the other hamburger chain. Oh, what happened? Had, no. no. There was a bit, of, a bit more wage theft oh, uh, yeah. going on. Uh, uh, rest right. Rest assured that Andrew's hamburgers pay their employees Plenty of money. Yeah, it's a bit of a family and concern. And on time. Yes, <laughs> I, it is.
2: I don't think you'd get away with it there because they're all heavily
0: invested. Uh, great sponsors, Nick's Partels and Harbrook, Bill and Andrew's Hamburgers. I think it's time we got into it finally. Let's do it. On Footyology, News Feed. All right, well, I do call this the silly season in terms of news. And uh, look, there's not a heap of Football around, as you might expect in uh, getting up to mid-December. But there is a bit, funny, you know, sort of dribs and drabs. Of course and there is. Essendon had a few dribs and drabs over the last week. A number of things. Um, they had their AGM last, when was it, Friday night, I think. So... Xavier Campbell has resisted overtures from the AFL to go and do a, a top exec job there and he's staying...
2: Is that is he staying for one more year? Uh,
0: no, I think they're talking about a long-term deal, actually, so uh, locked him away for a while. He's done a pretty good job, Xavier, so I think a lot of people will be happy about that. Lindsay Tanner, chairman at the same AGM, um, uh, announced his intent to uh, stand down as chairman towards the end of next year, which... He'll make it five years in the chair, which is pretty much what he was planning when he took up the post. So he'll be handing over to someone who's already on the board. Interesting composition, that board, but we won't delve too deep into footy politics. A um, couple of other things happening with the Bombers too. Lee Tudor, uh, most recently an assistant coach at North Melbourne, has come aboard at the hangar. He will be a assi- uh, development coach and um, a midfield coach in the VFL. Um, and they also, uh, perhaps most significantly, from an on-field point of view, and you know we like to concentrate on that. Jacob Townsend is now officially an Essendon player, former Richmond Premiership player. So, um, what, do you, what do you think about that? I'm happy with it. Um, it's interesting, actually. A number of Richmond supporters, uh, just uh, a few Tiger fans might might want to be aware of a, a little bit of hubris. Creeping in after two flags in three years, but a few were saying, oh, yeah, he's B grade at best." And but well, he I, agree, I, I agree with them. Well, he wasn't too B grade in the uh, 2017 conclusion to the season.
2: Look, he had a, he had a period there. It was a very strange period. His ratio f- for kicks to goals was mm. extraordinary, yeah. and it was a great. It was a purple patch, and he earned his spot in the team. Yeah, but I guess he's the issue with Jacob both at GWS and at Richmond, has been pace. Now, if he's going to play forward for Essendon, it's all about forward pressure. He's a really good mark for his size, but he's going to have to find something to be one of those real quick lockdown forwards.
0: Well, I'm I'm not sure that's what he's necessarily come to the club to do. I, I think a lot of it's about uh, a bigger midfield body. I mean, that's what he joined GWS as. And in fact, what he joined Richmond as, he only sort of fell into that because forward wasn't role.
2: Because he wasn't quick enough to play in the midfield. Well,
0: but also because Josh Caddy got injured. But I think it, pace isn't a concern of Essendon. Yeah, so. but that's what I
2: was going to say. But for Essendon... That's his best usage, because mm. you do need that big-bodied midfielder.
0: Yeah, and, and look, I mean... He's a freebie, too. Look, you know, maybe he won't work it out, but I uh, personally, you know, if you if you want a big body and you want someone who's been around the traps a bit, I, I'd rather see them pick up someone like Jacob Townsend than just take another... Speculative low draft pick on a, a kid who may there never get there. So, uh, quite happy with that. Anyway, I,
2: I should apologise when I say I know what you're talking about. Those you know Richmond supporters on in chat rooms, in forums, absolutely giving it to a premiership player. That is not on. I'm, I'm being hard on him, maybe from the Richmond perspective, but they've got a very strong list. So, that's very unfair. He's a life member at Richmond,
0: isn't he? Oh, he is. So is Marlon Pickett. Um, m- more news around the footy traps. Looks like Lockie Whitfield is about to sign a long-term contract for the Giants. Yeah, That will leave them with two more players who are eligible for free agency at the end of next year to re-sign, and they are Zach Williams and Jeremy Cameron. Um, they've done pretty well, GWS. They've very, over the last few months, re-signed uh, Stephen Cornelio, who, of course... Uh, has also been appointed uh, standalone captain for them for next year, um, and Josh Kelly and Tim Taranto. So no doubt having now at least made a grand final and sort of uh, proven their wares as a uh, consistently around-the-mark top team, um, retaining players is going to be less of an issue. So Whitfield, I'd say, a major coup for them.
2: I'd say that they're now settled down as a one of 17 genuine AFL clubs, I would expect them now to retain their best players. Mm. And if they lose it, like any other club, one may go every four or five years, that would be a surprise. Uh, I, they've now got that right number, that right mix, because a lot of the players that left that were star players, let's be honest, they were not necessarily entrenched in that midfield anyhow. that they, they, Part of the... Part of the seduction would have been, you're going to come here as our number one midfielder, we've got a job for you, you're going to play a key role. In two or three years, will that be your status Actually, WS. But mm. now I think they've got the right mix that they can say to Cornelio, who, by the way, is captain, or to a Jeremy Cameron, you're here, you're our forward, you're our leader. Yeah. There's no Boyd, there's no um, pattern. There's, They're now a proper club.
0: Yeah. No, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, bit of movement on the captaincy front, actually. We just mentioned Stephen Cornelio, but uh, we've also seen Port Adelaide appoint Tom Jonas as captain. Standalone captain. Standalone captain, which means Ollie Wines uh, is, is, isn't.
2: is Is available next year f- for another club. I, I really think he's he's downgrading there is tangible. It, it's real. He's not the important future of the club he was a couple of years ago, at least in the eyes of Ken Hinckley.
0: Which is remarkable, isn't it? I'll well, tell you what, I, well, you, I'd, I'd be you, happy for my club to have him.
2: Well, because then you'd have more contact with his parents. <laughs>
0: right, that's right. <laughs> Jane uh, Jane Wines, a very good uh, social media friend of mine. Um, but yeah, look, he's uh, it's interesting what's happened there. I mean, he's had plenty of injury worries, hasn't he? But yeah. Uh, I wonder, he's. I must say, he's always struck me as a really, you know, sort of um, articulate, intelligent, mature sort of bloke. Every every
2: other club would grab him. But it's interesting. We got a bit of an insight into Danaher, why Brendan Goddard wasn't effusive about him. And it was about his attitude to rehabilitation during injury. Mm. And within a club, because players, because it's such a hard road to hoe, and players do it and are admired for it. We don't, as a football public, we don't get the the intel on players that maybe haven't rehabbed properly, mm. haven't taken it as seriously as others. And I think that now is a black mark against footballers. Not saying that's Ollie Wines at all, but given that he had injury concerns, I wonder if that's a factor.
0: You just—it's funny you mentioned Joe Danner, There's someone else whose uh, mother I have a great, decent relationship yeah. with on social media. It's good for getting to know but people players, away players from the But players really field. put
2: great store in you know because they—it's this selflessness that is now such a big part of being part of an AFL club mm. that you're letting everybody down if you don't take that rehab seriously. No,
0: fair enough too. I, Inter- um, not necessarily, well, I am having a bit of a go at BJ here. I mean, everyone's got different strengths and weaknesses though, haven't they? And and BJ had, Yeah, I think course. he could argue, weaknesses in other areas.
2: Uh, we know he's a a sort of obsessively driven footballer mm. that is very demanding of his teammates. Yeah. That is <laughs> that may be a black mark against
0: you going forward as well. Uh, more moves on the captaincy front, of course. Shannon Hearn standing down at West Coast, and Luke Shuey uh, slipping seamlessly into that position there. And um, got to say again, you know, limited dealings with him, but uh, that struck me as perhaps the most obvious captaincy change of the lot. If Shannon Hearn was going to stand down, he's a really, really impressive uh, young guy, Luke Shuey. Really intelligent.
2: Yeah. Didn't Shannon Hearn prosper as captain,
0: though? Oh, yeah. It made, it made him.
2: I'm saying that's why I think at West Coast they are ready to invest in, a, in another very impressive young man mm. who they hope can even take his game to a, a higher level, as Shannon did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like Shuey's been leading the charge for a fair while now, hasn't he? When you said that about Shannon Hearn, maybe think of Tom Harley. I mean, Harley was Maxwell a guy who... Maxwell and Harley are yeah, the two examples, and, aren't they? And became better players as a result of, of having that official leadership mantle.
2: Became serious footballers when I think they were just in the ruck otherwise.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, rehab before. Um, while we're on the Eagles, a couple of issues there. Uh, I was reading last night, Tom Barass, um looks like he's going to miss about two months of the preseason season after foot surgery. And he had a, a foot issue last year and missed a fair chunk. Of the season as well, but it was the other foot, so uh, interesting there. And uh, again, they've had some, uh, there's been some talk about the surface uh, that these guys play on over there and whether that maybe contributes. And the other one, and again, goes to that same argument. Um, and I wrote this one down especially for you because you'll probably think he's faking it. Uh, Jeremy McGovern had (laughs) heel surgery, yep, yeah, yeah. So do you reckon when he got on the table and they put him under the docks, sort of went and opened the heel, and said, hang on, there's nothing wrong with this.
2: Oh, no, look, I'm sure there is something wrong with his heel, but um, he also went off with shoulder injuries, and he's he's melodramatic. Very good, but melodramatic. And let me tell you, in living memory for me, the luckiest All-Australian I can remember. Well, He should not be in that All-Australian team. I watched him very closely in 2019, it is absolutely a miscarriage of justice that he's in that time. Well,
0: you say Jeremy McGovern to me, and I, do, I, I don't I do think melodrama. I think drama, and uh, one of the, in context, most important marks in football history, really. The launching of that uh, final flurry that led to uh, Dom Sheed's match-winning goal in the That's 2018 Grand Final. That's right, it
2: was Hey, he's a very good footballer.
0: Now, more on... Um, seems to be Just a bit, not in two thousand nine. Seems to be a bit in the news about players rehabbing. These are the sort of things that you only ever look back on in retrospect if a side doesn't do well and say, oh, well, of course. And that's exactly what happened with Melbourne, wasn't it? I don't recall uh, too many people talking about Melbourne's interrupted pre-seasons this time last year, but when they started performing mm. poorly. Uh, to that end, I noted... Um, a piece. I think it was in the Herald Sun, about uh, seven Richmond players with delayed pre-seasons for various um, reasons. So Basher Hooley, he's had a, a calf problem. Uh, Dion Prestia has had um, Achilles tendonitis. Jack Graham still recovering from that shoulder injury sustained in the preliminary final win. Shai Bolton, I think, had shoulder surgery. Alex Rance is interesting because uh, you would have thought, oh, well, he must be flying 100%, but uh, he's recently had an arthroscopy on the knee he had reconstructed. Can I ask a
2: question about Alex Rance?
0: Hang on, just one more. Uh, the good news, Jack Higgins is um, yeah. apparently about to increase his training loads, uh, having been given the all-clear from that really serious uh, brain bleed that he had. Anyway, go on, for up. Okay, away. so
2: he had knee surgery, obviously.
0: Alex Rance, yeah. yeah.
2: Now, I don't know this, and I could. I'm probably completely off the mark. Do you need any blood for knee surgery?
0: Oh, I know where this is going. Well, it's a
2: question. It's, it's, uh,
0: it's a valid question. I wouldn't have thought so. Probably
2: not. But it is interesting that we've got an AFL footballer playing this contact sport. Mm. If he had a situation, say, like Lonergan had for Geelong.
0: Well, hang on, explain to he, people.
2: Because he's a Jehovah's Witness, they yeah. they don't take blood transfusions. Mm. Part of their religious belief is that your blood is your own and you cannot take on anybody else's blood. I I don't understand the reason. I don't know the reasoning behind it. But if he would have been, if he was in Lonnegan's position, he would have passed away. Um
0: Yeah, but are there degrees of... And
2: I've I've spoken to Jehovah's Witnesses. They have some substitutes and plasmas, but still, Lonergan lost a lot of blood and was very... It was critical anyhow. Yeah. A major... Incident like that, he would not survive. I wouldn't have thought,
0: yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, are, are there not? I mean, there are degrees of Catholicism, you know, people who either follow, no, it,
2: no, there's no. De- I'm telling you, if you're a Jehovah's you're Witness, you're in or you're out, he's an observing Jehovah's Witness. There, that is not negotiable, you're in for that, you're in for there. That's interesting. I, mean, I worked with a Jehovah's Witness as close as I am to you across the desk, yeah, for seven years, and. I oh, know a fair bit about the religion. How,
0: well, how can we never read about that? Like people say someone was in a car crash and could have been saved with a transfusion but died. Hmm? Isn't that the sort of thing that you'd be reading news stories about? You know, like don't know. the practical Obviously issues not. involved?
2: No, maybe not.
0: So, so you, you are 100% on that, that if you're a Jehovah's blood, Witness, no you blood, can't, blood, can't no blood detour it. from the path?
2: No, not to save your life okay there's no there's no but if in the case of life saving no that's you can't there are as i said they there are sub, modern medicine has given them uh, a better chance of survival in such cases, but the bottom line is that according to their interpretation of the scriptures, they can't have blood transfusions.
0: Mm, I find religion interesting uh, I wasn't I'll bring this up only briefly but I uh, saw a tweet yesterday from uh, Brian Houston the leader of uh, our esteemed PM's church Hillsong and uh yeah,
2: they're interesting
0: well he was um blessing the lord the lord had seen fit to um, bestow upon the church a brand new uh like three 3 tier tower in in the middle of Manhattan, New York hmm. to um to uh further their teachings.
1: Yep.
2: You know Hillsong has played a part <laughs> in some uh, some some conflict at an AFL club. Oh really? Yeah. I won't go into details.
0: Oh about yeah no that's ringing a vague bell actually. Something yeah. to do with Gold Coast? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. All right, a uh,
2: major problem I could imagine because and one of the players involved, and they've they, you know, more power to somebody who has faith and and draws um, draws from it and has a better life for it. I've got I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here. More power to to them. But Zach Smith was involved, so interesting that he's gone back to Gold Coast, and obviously that's they've been able to uh, incorporate because I think there still are people of faith.
0: Maybe he's gone back as pastor.
2: Well, uh, I think there are quite a few players of faith. There are quite a few religious footballers, by
0: the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm look, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm not a believer, but I'm not an active. David
2: Swallow, I believe, is. Yeah, yeah. Actively involved. I think Marcus Ashcroft, who had some involvement there, he certainly is a Christian, um, with strong beliefs. And Noah Belter from Richmond.
0: Oh, is that right? I did not know
2: that. Well, he indicated so. <laughs> Uh, before the grand final sprint. He was in the grand final sprint, wasn't yeah.
0: He? Yeah. Oh, What did he do? Made the sign some, of the cross or yeah, something. Yeah, did some strong praise. Well, uh, who, uh, Hugh Greenwood, another one. He yeah. got down on one knee and. Well, Lawha he play? Where's he playing next year? Uh, Gold Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah.
2: Well, that may be part of it. If they can... Hey, if, Gold Coast have found it hard to attract players. Yeah. If they become a bit of a beacon for players of faith because there are Christians in both teams I would imagine mm. if they become a beacon for Chris, for Christians that could be an interesting advantage that they have over other clubs
0: all right well, we may pursue, watch, watch this space we may pursue that in more detail another time um some more news quickly away from afl but uh, oh, oh, just
2: a couple of things I've got afl and that's the passing of Doug Cox.
0: Oh, yeah, very sad, yeah. Former St Kilda and Essendon defender.
2: And, of course, a big headline grabber because certainly in my time there'd been nothing like it. St Kilda got stripped of eight premiership points for playing Doug Cox. Richmond launched a a protest as he was a zoned Richmond player and shouldn't have played for St Kilda. But eight points were taken. There was a big grudge match at Waverley. St Kilda-Richmond.
0: Was it eight points? I thought they lost both the games they were talking about. eight points they got stripped off.
2: They later were reinstated as the VFL retrospectively changed the rules. But that big grudge match at the end, at Waverley,
0: yeah.
2: uh, Cox lined up on Bartlett, and Kevin Bartlett absolutely torched him. Yeah. He annihilated him.
0: Well, he was only here one year, wasn't he? Because he, he was definitely at Essendon in oh, yeah, 1984.
2: 83 yeah, he went to Essendon.
0: No, no, 83...
2: He went to Essendon and didn't play a game for you, though.
0: Yeah, Cox played senior footy at Essendon. Yeah, no, in 84. Yeah. But he went to you in 83. Oh, I thought he was there in 84. Yeah. He okay. didn't
2: didn't play a game in 83. had a bad wrist injury. Yeah. And I reckon that day, I could be completely wrong. What what year was Danaher Fitzpatrick where Essendon beat Carlton in the 37th? Minute?
0: 81.
2: I reckon that day at Waverley was the day that happened.
0: Oh, so you reckon it was 81. I had a feeling it was 83, but I might be getting that mixed up with the Silvio... Skinny yeah. and Paul Ward, thing, which yeah. was 83. That right.
2: was 83. And it, I reckon it was the same day because I remember going back into the car park yeah. and amazed that this game was still on and just delighted with the finish.
0: Of uh, the yes, and carlton game? Yeah, I thought it was very funny. Well, that was round 20, 81. I uh, rem- remember it very well. So it forgotten. may have
2: been that day, but certainly that year, I think.
0: All right, so let's do this quickly. Yes. Uh, you wanted to bring up Ange Postacoglu.
2: Well, is this not the greatest effort by an Australian football manager? Yes, it is. Of course it is. Look, he left here highly regarded. He has led Yokohama Marinos to the J League title. This was, you know when he, he took them over last year? Mm. After 12 games, they were on the bottom. Mm. And there was strong murmurings about getting him sacked. They had a great rally at the second half of the year. They would have been long odds to win that title this year. Yeah. He's got... He, he's got cachet and currency, I tell you that much.
0: Yeah, anyone would think he'd be a good uh, manager of the soccer Socceroos. Well, he didn't. Well, I don't know if he didn't. I've, I've got a feeling it was more like uh, Robbie Slater and Craig Foster and oh. Mark Bosnich didn't think yeah,
2: so. Yeah, but... Anyhow. Incidentally. Anyhow, he's not coming back. He's not, That no, would no, be a backward step now. No,
0: well, that uh, good. That whole saga is a really good example of the, the uh, destructive nature of soccer politics in this country. And it was very interesting. Robbie Slater, I think quite graciously, sort of put out a tweet afterwards saying, what an achievement, well done, Ange, or something. Yeah. Check the uh, replies to that tweet oh, from yeah. people. Pe- pe-
2: <laughs> people are very passionate, aren't they? And, and not scared to stick boots in. I guess if you're bringing up Australian managers, did we discuss Pimperbake
0: uh, last actually, was, no, we? no, we probably didn't because it happened afterwards. So, yeah, another sad passing at the age of just 63, Pimperbake. Yeah, and terrible. it's very interesting, too, how um, popular he was with uh, the media, uh, members of the Australian soccer media, oh, um, yeah. Simon Hill in particular. Simon Hill
2: and him, very close relationship. Yeah,
0: yeah no, so that's interesting. Incidentally, when you say greatest effort by an Australian manager... Um, I'm not disputing it, but one that'd have to be up there surely would be Uh, Raleigh taking the Socceroos to the World Cup for the first time in 1974. Yeah, huge achievement. Um, all right, now well done for a Anch- Yugoslav manager. Well, what's that <laughs> for Yugoslavia? Yeah, but he was you know, he was Australian. Last thing we want to discuss too, and pretty important given the time, um, the abandonment of the Victoria, WA Sheffield Shield game or Marsh Shield or whatever it's called now. How about that at the MCG? Remarkable stuff, really. I've got to say, (laughs) no. Look, I mean that, that they were there. They saw. I'm sure the umpires are in the perfect position to sort of assess whether it's dangerous or not. But it's sort of ironic, isn't it? After years of people complaining about lifeless MCG tracks. Yeah. They put a bit of juice in it, and now they decide it was too much juice.
2: Yeah, so it wasn't organic, though. It wasn't... Well, <laughs> what do you
0: mean? <laughs> they were on steroids? Or... Well,
2: it's not organic. These drop-in pictures, it's not naturally a faster or a, a more bowler-friendly pitch. It seems now to have, you know, just got hot spots on it that yeah. make it particularly dangerous to bet on, which goes to show, every time I... I when you... Th- Realise pictures are drop-in pictures. To me, they're never going to be the same for a five-day match. Like those beautiful, beautiful pictures that are part of the ground, all with the famous what's the soil? The um, Mary Creek, Mary Creek soil. It, it, it's the sort of pitch that can it, it develops over five days or mm. degrades over five days, making it a brilliant contest from early favouring bowling to batting, then to spin bowling. They've never been able to recreate that properly. I don't. Reckon if you it.
0: had a look at the deliveries in question, and they didn't play for that long, did they? I mean, WA was three for whatever, but yep. um, I think uh, three batsmen got hit. Marcus Stornis got hit, oh, right up yep. in the under, under the, the ribs, heart, yep. yeah, under the rib cage, yep. and that. Uh, and just, Marsh
2: got flayed.
0: That exploded. Yeah. I wonder though if the standards on that have changed a bit because, like, you go back to some of those MCG tracks of the early eighties. And then even, um, I think, uh, 1988, when they destroyed us there, Patrick Patterson um, and half the Australian team where it ended up with broken limbs and whatever from an un- yeah. unpredictable track that would you know, give roll, you shoot- shooters one minute and, and balls exploding off the cracks and next. So. Ha-
2: having played most of my cricket on turf mm. and a lot of those wickets, uncovered wickets in suburban Melbourne, I don't have a great deal of pity for first-class and test players complaining about the state of wickets i mean you can imagine what you played on in suburbia yeah especially if you especially if the other team batted first and you're playing away Mm. and their curator often a member of the team you know had the picture at his behest to prepare for your batting yeah it was never fun
0: i i I played most of my cricket on mats until later years anyway and mats were great fun if you're a bowler can tell you, particularly if you hit that bit in the middle where the two mats joined
2: oh, The last mats I ever saw were one piece but as a junior I played on that that's a no ball
0: isn't it when it hits that uh, You get away with them sometimes <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alright uh, that's probably enough news for this week, I think it's uh, time we talk about some uh, matters pertaining to life in general finding Life Hacks Building a Better World Rightio, this could be uh, anything and everything. This could touch on any area of life you care to name, just uh, general observations we've had during the past seven days. Um, Mine are probably a reflection of um, the sort of narrow life I'm leading at the moment. But uh, I'll let you kick it off, finally, your first life hack.
2: Okay. They used to say if you don't want an argument at a party or when meeting people for the first time in this town, Steer away from religion, politics, and football mm. but i 've got one to trump them all. I guess it falls under the umbrella of politics broadly, but the new black is climate change, and worse that it's so it's such a a vexing issue, and it is so important to some people that not having an opinion is as much a reason to be stared down. Derided and argued with as having a contrary opinion.
1: Mm.
2: Now, if somebody starts talking about it, like my daughter, my eldest daughter, and asks for your opinion, you better not say you're ambivalent. You'll get hit over the head with something very climate changing. Well, are you ambivalent? I'm not ambivalent. I believe I understand climate change, but I'm not certain that it's. I and I understand that there is a a a human element to it. Yeah. But we have been subject to great climate change on this planet. I mean, were the dinosaurs the greatest bastards on Earth because of the Ice Age? What, what were they doing wrong? I, I'm just saying that there could be calamitous climate change hit this planet that man is not responsible for. That being said, I believe that those things that we can be accountable for, we need to correct. So...
0: And do you think we're, we're doing enough to do that?
2: No, obviously not. Mm. So I understand that the big argument is whether we are treating the planet properly. I don't believe we are. Right. I understand that, but I, I get this feeling that it might be we might be um, we might be rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. you mm. know the the big, the big planet killer, I don't think is in our hands, necess- oh, no I don't know if it's in our hands. I don't know. To be safe, let's do the right thing to the planet. Yeah.
0: And, what's, that, uh, that's uh, and, my and but, what's the worst that can happen? We end up with a cleaner planet. Correct.
2: But <laughs> I'll tell you what, for some climate change zealots, yeah. that sort of explanation is, is um, soft, it is non-committal, and it is worthy of derision.
0: All right, I'll, I'll give you my view in a nutshell, and I, I can see people rolling their eyes here. Uh, I don't think I'm a zealot about it, and I also don't pretend I know much about it, because I don't, and it's incredibly complex stuff. What I do know is this, that an absolute uh, ridiculously sized majority of qualified people qualified in this field, i.e. scientists, are insistent that man-made climate change or global warming has occurred and that we need to do something to uh, stem the tide. And if they say that, that's good enough for me. And, it, you know, it's, it's when I get cranky is when the likes of Andrew Bolt and people who aren't qualified can be so insistent, so arrogantly insistent that uh, we don't have a problem in ridiculing people who have spent their lives researching this stuff. So, um, you know, we don't question science and virtually any other Uh, area of life. Why do we question on this? Because it has become politicised. And one of the great tragedies, or just quickly, one of the great tragedies for me is that prior to 2009, and when that first bill was um, rejected, uh, we we had essentially a bipartisan agreement on, on both major parties. And that led to the rolling of Malcolm Turnbull as opposition leader by Tony Abbott, Um, Mr. No, and uh, you won't ever get me to reconcile from my belief that Tony Abbott is the single most destructive politician this country's had.
2: The one thing I would say is that some of the long-view planning is, to me, in 2019, going to be difficult to implement and quite an imposition. You know, they're suggesting that within 10 years we cannot have any more landfill, uh, any more... Tips or, or rubbish, garbage, tips, dumps. Well, that's going to be difficult for normal people.
0: Oh, there's a lot of things with it that are going to be difficult. I mean, obviously, uh, replacing the streams of income that come from major fossil fuel industries for starters.
2: Yeah. I'm but saying, but those big things, I understand. I understand about mining and about coal. You know, about coal production, etc. I can see the smokestacks but I'm just not sure where I'm going to put all the boxes that stuff comes in in the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a complex and complicated and difficult In other words, I'm issue. selfish,
2: very selfish about it.
0: Yeah, well, I think man's inherent selfishness is probably the biggest, biggest obstacle problem. to overcome. Yep. All right, uh, my first one, and uh, far less weighty matters. Gee, this is a bit of a role reversal. You've brought up climate change. I'm bringing up YouTube. <laughs> um, well, well, you've had a bit of a YouTube watch the last couple of weeks And now it's my turn I spent a good deal of Saturday uh, It happened, I think, because on Friday night I was just flipping around And I happened on the uh, Fox footy replay of the 1971 grand final well, yeah, I've never seen it ABC version And mm-hmm. uh, ended up watching most of it again But <sighs> um, but uh, I went from there. I think I, I got on YouTube because I ended up watching the final story doco about that grand final again. Fantastic documentary by Pete Dixon, brother of Robert. If you haven't seen it, and of course I went down the YouTube rabbit hole. All those clips, similar sort of clips down the right hand side. I love it. I ended up watching in its entirety, Finny. Complete with AFL tables up there next to it So I could look at the stats and everything And quarter by quarter scores The 1978 Grand Final between Hawthorne and North North Melbourne Why that one? Um, Because it appeared in the right hand side And I've seen it plenty of times Was it a good game? Well I don't think it was a great game Well here's what I wanted to I wanted to defend this as a game I actually think it was a better game Well no one said it was a terrible game Because it wasn't I mean Hawthorne only won by three goals Um, But I thought actually that as a spectacle and excitement and changes of fortune and whatever, it actually is an underrated grand final. Here's why. Hawthorne kicked five goals to North Melbourne's two in the first quarter. Second quarter, it completely turned around. Phil Baker running amok, kicking three goals and taking one of the most famous marks in history. And North kicked five goals to two. Now, popular sort of convention about this game is that Hawthorne ended up sort of running away with it. But... Here's what I hadn't remembered. So North Melbourne were a couple of points up at half time. They kicked the first goal of the third quarter, a couple more behinds, and then here's the the almost the turning point of the game. They're two goals up. It's about seven or eight minutes into the third quarter. They attack again. The ball is I can't remember who kicked it, but it's going into the goal square where Phil Baker is poised to mark, and poor little Ray Hupperts of all people didn't see him, and got in his way and spoiled him, and it went through for a point. Uh, Q Hawthorne just exploding into action. Hawthorne kicked seven goals in that third quarter. Lee Matthews, absolutely sensational with a couple. Uh, who else do we have goals from? I think Martello, Ablett, uh, Don Scott kicked one, um, and in the blink of an eye, Hawthorne then had a, a pretty more than handy five, six goal lead. Um but North Melbourne could have gone three goals up, and you just wonder how bigger um, or how different a complexion that would have put on things. Robert DiPier Domenico played a fantastic game in this, and I think in a retrospective sort of uh, had they had a Norm Smith affair, uh, he was nominated as the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, effectively the Norm Smith medalist. Terry Wallace played a great game. Ray Huppets, I hadn't remembered him playing so well for North. He was terrific. Wayne Schimmelbush, great finals player. He was great. And of course Phil Baker in a losing side with six goals. But the highlights funny, the highlights. Peter Landy Uh, absolutely weighing into the kids carrying the balloons around the boundary line before they go. (laughs) Why? Well, uh, Peter Landy has gone to intro the telecast, standing on the boundary line there, just as the kids carrying the huge things of balloons, remember them, are coming around, and uh, they hadn't been sort of told appropriately to keep out of the way. So Landy's trying to talk to the camera, and these North Melbourne balloon kids are getting in front and going, yay! (laughs) So he moves forward and appears to actually kick one of the <laughs> boys' kids <laughs> and then another one goes to get in his way and he puts his arm out and rather forcefully connects with the uh, eight nine-year-old kid's jaw right. yep. um, it, it is on youtube if you want to have a look put 1978 grand final peter wandy Wow, it's pretty funny stuff i tweeted a still from it actually so that's um that's pretty funny Uh, Don Scott failing to open a bottle of champagne on the dais, uh, tries to take the cork out, the cork breaks, tries to crack the neck of the bottle on the dais, won't crack, so just throws the bottle into the crowd of players. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to talk about Peter Landy's incredible... um, Pessimism as a Hawthorne supporter So some When you talk about Bias in commentary Usually you think Oh well they'll be too Glowing about their side But Landy was the Absolute opposite I first noticed this In the 1984 grand final When Essendon Um after kicking oh, six or seven goals. Yeah, sorry, it wasn't six or seven. Essendon had got the margin. The margin was like one point the difference in the 84 grand final at the, going into time on. Mm. And the ball goes back to the centre and Landy goes, Essendon running right away with this game now. <laughs> one point the difference at 25-minute mark. The other one there is... At one stage around the same time, Lou uh, says, oh, it could be a draw, Pete. We could come back here next week. And Landy goes, well, if it's a draw, I hope it's warmer next week, Lou. <laughs> so he's always pessimistic about the Hawks. And in missed 78 grand final, he does it the whole time. Like uh, in the midst of that seven-goal burst in the third quarter, they 've got about three goals up, and he's going uh anyone's going this, although you probably have your money on North Melbourne at the moment, really, really? yeah hawthorne's <laughs> all over, him. and the the funniest one is at the end, so Hawthorne got six goals up um and then North kicked three cheapies right at the end, you know sort of twenty eight twenty nine thirty minute mark. The last goal by Morris Boyce uh, put them within 18 points, but it was like the 32-minute mark. So Boyce kicks the goal, Landy goes, What a finish! (laughs) And about two seconds later, a siren goes. So the old pessimistic Pete uh, I've taken to call him. Anyway, 78 grand final. uh, If you're at a a very loose end, I I obviously was. um, It's a pretty good game of footy.
2: Yeah, well done. Okay, my next observation is... I consider myself a bit of a wordsmith, always enjoyed a game of Scrabble, like the word search in Reader's Digest, in your Word Power. Do pretty well on that. Okay. My daughter turns 13 tomorrow. Happy birthday, Harper.
0: Happy birthday, Harper. She was saying something to me. Named after Harper, were you, by any chance? Absolutely. Okay.
2: As my to son kill was named, named after Zane Gray. Okay. We are a literary family. Family from Murray. So, <laughs> so she was saying yesterday, her friend Cody, that she really, Cody's dad drives a Mustang. And he. she said to me, Oh, he's great, Cody's dad. He's so bougie. I said, What? I said, well, Do you know what bougie is?
0: Is it short for bourgeois?
2: Well, they use it. I mean, bourgeois is what it's short for. I didn't even think of that. Oh. But bourgeois is middle class, or yeah, reaching middle class, isn't it? Yeah, because for them, for her, bougie was he just loves labels.
0: Oh, okay, no, that's
2: that's not really bougie, but I wonder if that's where it's come from. Must be okay, but he's so
0: bougie. And she goes,
2: it's great. Everything's got great. Like when a new iPhone's out, iPhone 11, he's one of the people in the queue. Yeah. That sort of thing.
0: It it is slightly, pardon me, disturbing when your children start sort of talking like uh, they're of different ethnicity and culture, isn't it? (laughs) You just feel
2: old. So she was saying, this was during the footy season, Richmond, she's a mad Richmond supporter. And Dustin Martin was... Playing well, and she goes on fleek. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> means on fire?
0: Okay, yeah, no, I, well, yeah, this happens with David. He, you know, things are whack and, and whatever. I, you, but
2: I, I know, whack, yeah. but these are new words. Like, she looked at something the <laughs> other day and said, Fetch. I said, Pardon? She said, Nice,
0: fetch. Oh, okay, as in fetching, maybe, An and
2: maybe, fetching. um, randos, random. It's a, it's a, refers to some, refers to people, like specifically. Like, I was on the train and this rando was,
0: oh yeah, okay. Looking at the girl
2: sitting, you know. So, you know, anybody that's, anybody that's slightly disturbingly unknown to them is a rando.
0: (laughs) It's like the, uh, I
2: mean, everything's sketchy. I said, take public transport, too sketchy. Go down the shops. Walk yourself Too sketchy Everything's sketchy So they don't have to do any, You know You know what's sketchy is like
0: A bit suss A bit Oh okay Sketchy Alright It's too sketchy It's like that scene Out of Family Guy Where Chris starts speaking Like a hip hop A, a yeah, rap artist yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. And Peter goes to um, Do an exorcism He goes The power of Christ Compels you The power of Christ Compels you Um, It is a worry. Yes. Okay. No, I I can relate to that one. But I'm glad you helped me with bougie infection. Yeah, well, ask Harper. She might have a... She wouldn't know the origins. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Here's another one. And it just, again, was sitting there aimlessly yesterday. And I saw a tweet from an American sports agency or something asking, what is the greatest sporting photo of the decade? It was a really good thread because everyone obviously posting some great pics. Um... And I I couldn't think of a standout, really. I mean, there's a lot of great sports photos from important moments. But it did make me think of what was the most... I would relate the photo to something of great import. And I immediately thought, well, what is my most significant moment of the sporting decade? And for me, a clear number one, because it it remains the single most dramatic moment I've ever seen in sport. Um, and it's uh, Sergio Aguero's last-minute winner for Manchester City in the final against Premier QPR. League game uh, against QPR in yeah. May 2012. And, uh, it um, of course, I went down that YouTube rabbit hole again. I found a photo of Aguero because he, after he scores, he takes his top off and he's waving it around his head, John Aloisi style. Um, but, gee, there's some great stuff that's been made since that moment. Oh, and, I'll, look, I will never forget it. I was watching it live I was pretty new on Twitter at that stage, and I've called up my tweets from a time. You can get um, ask them to send you the archive, and I'm just going ballistic. Just everything's in capitals, and what an incredible moment, though. You know, for a season that lasts for nine months, and they play 38 games, and to come down literally to the last sort of 30 seconds, incredible stuff. If if you are a soccer fan and you haven't seen this, I'd strongly urge you to have a look on YouTube, Manchester City, the club, produced um, a documentary called 93.20, which was the time of the Aguero goal finding, uh, three minutes and 20 seconds into injury time. And it's about different perspectives of that day and that finish. And it talks to um, the players, obviously. It talks to the staff of the club. It talks to the media, different Martin Tyler, who's Aguero call became very uh, famous, uh, talks to a lot of different sort of participants in the day and it's it's so well made and um, just fantastically done and uh, made me think about the possibilities for those sort of things in AFL and I think we're seeing those things explored more. But there, there you go, that was uh, my greatest sporting moment of the decade and uh, just an incredible bit of drama.
2: If I asked you just quickly, what's... Do you think the most iconic, famous sporting photo
0: of all time? Oh, gee! I mean, um, I just
2: went bang, and I had one. I think it's it, it's in the discussion.
0: I don't know why, but the thing that just popped into my head, and I, I'm not saying this is what I necessarily think, but I just had a thing of um, uh, Peter Norman up on the Olympic days okay, in well, Mexico that, City. I would have.
2: That was the second one that came into my yeah. head. Okay,
0: oh, Ooh, who's mate. calling it?
2: My mate Sheebs, the mad Richmond supporter. Sheebs, you can hear me. I'm doing a podcast.
0: Goodbye. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just so, heard him in the background. So what uh, is it?
2: Um, Muhammad Ali standing oh. over Sonny Liston yeah. when he knocked him out. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What year was that? 60s. I don't know. Late 60s? Mid to late 60s. 60s, yeah.
2: world champion. He, you know, standing over the top yeah, of him. Yeah. That, it's a it's a powerful photo, isn't yeah.
0: it? Yeah. It's a good discussion, isn't it? Jeez, uh, of, of all time. I mean, I'm sure... I've... I mean,
2: that that famous picture of, of the Black Power with Peter yeah. Norman on the dais is, is right and up there. So is Jesse Owens at Berlin. Yeah. Him standing on the dais.
0: Isn't it, in retrospect, it's so sad how the significance of what Peter Norman did wasn't really... I think, it, I given just
1: no, kudos in, in, in recent this years, it sad, has. But it up, sadly, after his passing, he's passed away. Yeah. yeah,
2: But it's an interesting discussion. I mean, there's there's some brilliant sports photos that are probably, in terms of capturing, a moment that is incredible in sport. Your favourite football photo? Ooh, um. I think mine's a Bruce Postle. Is it Bruce?
0: Yeah, Bruce Possel, a great age photographer. Um, Oh, what's yours?
2: Well, it's just this incredible photo. I think it's Rod O'Bourne of Collingwood. Yeah. He's upside down, and the position of his body, you can't see his head, but the ball is in the exact position where his head
0: would be. That is very good. It's
2: extraordinary. It really looks like a player upside down on his head, but his head's a football.
0: Yeah. Gee, I'll have to have a think about that. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's other ones. There's the, the Merv Hobbs mark.
0: Yeah. Over... Uh, Johnson. Uh, yeah. One of the Melbourne. Johnsons of Melbourne. Yeah.
2: Taken by a photographer who was with his daughter driving past the MCG. Even though it was a grand final, I
0: think. It a preliminary A final. preliminary. Yeah.
2: But she said, I I want, to, I want to watch you working. And then he said, all right, let's go. And he got a position on the ground with his daughter sitting next to him. Is that right? Apparently, yeah. Good story.
0: Uh, I'll have a think about that. I might get back to you on that next week. All right, final one for you.
2: Okay, it's, you know, I like watching football. Yes. I've been watching footy and cricket and soccer a lot for 50 years on TV. And I've always kept an eye out for something. And I had really sort of um, come to the conclusion, I'll never see it happen. And I saw it on the weekend. What was it? Okay, I was watching NITV live. Yeah. Northern Territory football. Yeah. And I've always wondered, not at a local level, but on TV, like on a proper game of, of league football, and I guess this qualifies, to see a father and a son playing together. Oh, yeah. Okay, do you know who it is? The father played for Essendon.
0: Well, there's a fair chance it's Rioli or Picket or Kick is isn't no. it? <laughs> no, he played for Essendon. Um. He wears
2: number two for Palmerston Magpies and his son wears number one. Unfortunately... The senior got injured halfway through the game. But apparently they've played a lot together. I give up isn't who, isn't it? Alwyn Davey Senior and Orwyn Davey Junior. Wow.
0: It was great watching them play together. It was just great. So how old is Orwyn uh, Junior? 16 or something. And senior would only be thirty five two or three. Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. It was
2: great. I've I've really kept an eye out for yeah, yeah. it. I was hoping it could maybe the Fletchers could do it if he was good. Yeah. You know, could it ever happen in football? No. Probably cricket, could that and I've always kept a an eye out for it. Yeah. And I finally saw it.
0: I tell you what, it just I'm I'm sorta of, part of me is sort of dreading uh either Mason or Max Fletcher playing League footy because having seen all of Dustin's career and yep. a fair portion of kids, yep, you know, like that is a sure sign of old. your age, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Watching three generations of players. Well, we've done it with the Silvanis, yep. Uh, or, or, no, I didn't really see. Steve. Yeah, well, his last year I think was seventy-one. I might have gone to a game he played in, yeah, but that's pushing it a bit, I suppose.
2: But I'll say this: that on the back of that, I just turned the golf on this morning. And there's this great tournament they were showing live, the father and son tournament. Oh yeah. And not that the so- sons are very good golfers. Not not that they're professionals, but yeah. the Langers were winning. Yeah. Bernard Langer oh, and yeah. his boy. Yeah, yeah. But there was also two combinations of grandfathers and grandchildren.
0: Wow. Who's that?
2: Jack Nicholas and his grandson, yeah. GT Nicholas. Yeah. And Gary Player and his grandson, <laughs> who's Throsby or Throssel or something. Throssell. But Jack's <laughs> old. Well, he's old now. Yeah.
0: yeah. In his eighties. Yeah. He can play yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> just, you do, I mean, I mean
2: it, After 18 holes Boy was he sweating And struggling though he, It was hot Where they were
0: You know what I want to see Did uh, John Daly Have a yeah, son
2: Yeah yeah He plays with his oh, son Oh he played When I left the When I left Waxing They were one behind
0: I want to see this Oh he was good I want to see this 10 year old kid Getting around a course Smoking a smoking it's Very similar a cigarette. Very similar build
2: For <laughs> yeah. a kid He's about 16 as well 15 yeah. or 16 Very good player Yeah okay. He is a really good player you know his father wears the US flag pants. Oh god. And yeah. the son was in the US flag shorts. Now, <laughs> this is what people don't know this about John Daly. <laughs> On course, he is a very mild-mannered, quiet golfer. I know he's got this impression of being brash and whatever, and he might be maybe had an incident somewhere. But, you know, he's known as being a very demure player. Right. His son is not a demure player. <laughs> his son is
0: really fiery. That's good. I, I've always thought there should be more sort of... And he did something great, his son.
2: Like, he smashed his wood, right, in anger. Yeah. And one of the shots his father
0: played... Oh really? Yeah. Oh no, I like that. I've always they thought were, sh- they were one behind. There should be more room for emotion in golf. That's why I always love that AFL ad with the two English tourists going around looking at it, yeah. a lot of, and they get kicked out of the golf because someone's playing out of a bunker. One of them goes, "Go on there, mate, spank <laughs> it." But but there's also the Lehmans were right up there, the Goosens. Geez, you watch a lot of sport. Oh, they were these young players were beautiful golfers. All right, uh, I'm going to finish off with something completely. It's been very sporting flavored today, but uh, apart from your climate change one and this one, in fact, um, this is the probably the most exciting thing I did in the weekend. But exciting, not in a good way. Now, uh, do you do? Have you shopped at Aldi? Love Aldi. Okay. For specific items only. All right. Okay. Just let me go on this one. So I, I haven't done it a lot. I must say, I'm a, I'm, I am have been a Woolworths or Coles person, but uh, we need to save a bit of money at the moment. So uh, we set off to Aldi, and I've done it a couple of times. And now having done it a few times, I can safely say it's not good for my um, nerves. Uh, I find the whole experience incredibly nerve-wracking. Um, the, sh- the shop... Particular Audi we're in is not that big. Very claustrophobic. There are always um, people with huge, um, you know, pallets stacking shelves. There's always a flurry of activity going on, so you can't just quietly consider the different brands. You tend not to have the name brands, so you nothing looks familiar. And there's lots of things that are sort of rip off brands. E.g., we bought a family pack of little packets of chips, Finny. And the chips were called, they look for all the world, like, you know, Smiths or something, and they were called Sprinters. I don't know yeah, why you yeah, call yeah, potato chips Sprinters. Yeah, they are different. But there you go. Um, and the by far the most nerve-wracking moment of any Aldi shop is when you get to the counter.
2: And they at, say, <clears throat> closing on line three, opening on aisle two, and well, everybody
0: runs. And they don't say anything. They just start whacking. the, the Those girls on the checkout at Aldi, they they can move. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh got to pack your own bags. You got to pack your own bags and unless you keep up with them you're in trouble. There's just items going everywhere and every single time we do it Abby stations herself over the um the trolley to put the bags in and I'm holding the bags open and I'm desperately just flinging stuff in the bags. Everything's going all over the joint. I know you can put it in the trolley and then bag it later over at the desk but uh I, I always have a nervous breakdown every time we're we're checking out the uh, the items we've bought, and we bought a fair whack. So. Oh,
2: but come on, surely it's better than doing your own checkout at Coles and Woolies, and some of the new Coles and Woolies, there's barely any checkout other than do it yourself.
0: That's true. I, I always try to uh, go to one that's manned. Yeah, I don't like the self I mean, it's ridiculous. It's impossible to do self-service if you're doing a whole week's shopping. You've got a whole trolley full of stuff that's not what self serves. there's for, a surely. great
2: comedian called Rodman. he's out of america yeah african-american and he does this great because he's always confused that's his comedy and it, they send him to do his own checkout he goes oh uh, I'm, I'm working here now okay i'm working um i, I put my hand up i want a break <laughs> <laughs> um he, yeah, I, I didn't know i'm i'm I've been staffed, you know. I mean, it's almost like that. How did I end up an employee of, of Coles?
0: I, I don't like feeling rushed or flustered, and particularly when it comes to shopping. So, uh, if you haven't shopped out and you're thinking about, look, the savings are considerable.
2: You got to pick and choose your items.
0: Yeah, I think some of the some of the uh, sort of rip off items I don't know about the quality. Oh,
2: I- I think biscuits and that. If you're used to f- your tim tams, don't yeah. go for the mitt mats and stuff like that. Is that what they call? No, no. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's quite good actually. But, um, for example, I love American-style pork spare ribs. They just happen to do these bu- these beautifully trimmed and cut pork spare ribs. Yeah. Single in single um, plastic wraps. Yeah. Better price than anywhere else, and actually. Better trimmed and prepared. The other thing about them is, have a look at some of their products because they are German. They got great prices on like French mustard and German pickles that are imported but are very well priced.
0: But how, how do you find out the, the good private quality have, ones? Unless try every well, I'm, you know, I, I don't sort of tend to walk into a supermarket going, "I think I might check out the uh, right. spare ribs." All right,
2: I tell you what. Well, they're just raw. I mean, they you know these aren't marinated or anything. I tell you what are surprisingly decent. Um, the other day I bought. A, a frozen cheese. Key, it was a like key lime pie. It was like five dollars, but it was a family. You know, key, key lime pie. Oh, it's like a. It's it's like a um. You
0: meant like a shepherd's pie or something? No, no,
2: it's a sweet. It's a dessert. Oh, it's like a lemon cheesecake. Um, okay, that sort of dessert. It's called a key lime pie. But
0: All right, very good. Actually, I'll give. I oh, actually I can chip in on this. Very um good. Stumbled onto you know the um, sort of Turkish pastries you get with spinach and feta cheese and so yeah, Uh mm. Yeah, yeah, but there's sort of a version of that you can get at Aldi frozen yep. uh, brand. It's quite cheap and it's uh, it's pretty good. No. So, but anyway, I, and I bought, the other
2: thing about Aldi that only Aldi people regulars know, you know, in the middle section, I don't know, you've got a small one. Mm. They sell a lot of non-food items, but big things like air compressors. Yeah, some weeks yeah. and. I'll tell you what, some of them are very well priced and they work. Yeah. You know, you know the water thing, like a gurney or a carkshire. Yeah. I mean, they start at 150 bucks. Mm. We bought one there because I only needed to use it really once or twice for this new place we're in. $39.
0: Worked very well. Excellent value. All right, I would just say this. If you haven't shopped at Aldi and you're thinking about it, it, you will save money, but just be made of stern stuff. Not great for the nervous system. I bet
2: you all of our listeners have shopped there. Uh, Not many people have not shopped at Aldi. Even people, even well-heeled people know it's better to pay 90 cents for A kilo of spinach than $4.
0: Yes. Well, uh, a few of us formerly well-heeled people are beginning to (laughs) discover this. All right. um, Enough life hacks. I think it's time we ranted Finny. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies and TV. Uh, Whoops. I just completely forgot. What segment we're we up to, Finey, apologies for that. I'm so looking forward to the rant. I almost skipped ahead. Of course, this is the segment vinyl and video where we go back, choose a year, and uh, nominate our favourite music, movies and TV. I got to choose a year this week finally and I chose nineteen seventy six.
2: Not a bad choice. I, I I liked your choice. I think I think we were on fertile ground. In all three categories, or at least I was.
0: Well, I think, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, and I'll explain why when we get to it. I think this could be one of the great years for movies. There are so yeah. many good movies in yes. nineteen seventy-six.
2: But I bet you the one I came up with isn't in your list. Well, I,
0: funnily enough, I do know of it because you do. Uh, well, I have a very s- few people know. Of well, this I have movie. a I have a story about it. Well, um, <laughs> interesting. So anyway, the year is nineteen seventy-six. Let's start off with music. Music, what do you got? Okay, I
2: know that you're very keen on albums. Yes. <laughs> and oh,
0: actually, you actually chose an album? And I've
2: actually got an album, but because predominantly, of course, because of one song, mm-hmm. oh, have you heard the expression cooler than the other side of the pillow? You must have if you if you like a family guy.
0: Uh, I don't think I do, but anyway, go on.
2: Well, this is, to me, the... Absolute embodiment of cool, honestly. And what is it? Lou Rawls.
0: Ah, you'll never find.
2: Well, that's because this is on that album. I love that song.
0: Another love like mine. You don't sing it as well as him. <laughs> uh, so Someone who loves you. Yeah, go on.
2: The way I do. Yeah. We've got to stop singing. So, the two hits from the album. Actually, the other hit was quite interesting. I don't other, think
0: I've ever heard another song by
2: him. Oh, Got a lot of these cool songs, but he sings
0: He's a bit of a Barry White.
2: He sings Pure Imagination. Okay. From Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory.
0: Oh, the original version. He,
2: the original was actually written for Gene Walder yeah. and specifically
0: for the movie. Ah right. Okay, I didn't know that.
2: Pure Imagination. Ah,
0: okay. And Da, 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 yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. in a world that's, of pure rules. No, he sings a version of it. Ah, it was originally Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka. Yeah, okay. but the big hit, of course, and the name of the album is All Things in Time. Right, 1976 is You'll Never Find. To me, that is smoother. That is smoother than the behind of a bubba.
0: It used to get played a lot on the radio. I do remember that.
2: Well, I think I thought you would have loved. A later si- singing of that song. Buy because home. that was the song that Token Black won the talent contest that a- enabled him to sing at Miss Colorado Pageant. In South Park. Correct. But it also meant that Cartman wanted, <laughs> wanted to be a, a music agent. <laughs> I don't
0: think I remember that
2: episode. It, 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 this episode features the most bizarre thing that's ever happened in music. What? Because... That token becomes their client. Yeah. So he's singing it, you'll never find, in that beautiful, whoever his voice is. Yeah. And the audience goes, he's great. In fact, Mrs. Garrison <laughs> says, Girls, doesn't a black man singing make your so and so wet? Oh, <laughs> but a... somebody else goes, Hey, this guy's great. We should have him at Tommy's Bar Mitzvah. And Cartman leans forward and gives them the business card of their all-star <laughs> entertainment group. But their next client is the whole name of the episode. Have you ever heard of Wing?
0: Oh, Wing, right. I remember that episode. No. what? Who was Wing's
2: the... real. Wing is a Chinese woman who lives in New Zealand. Yeah. Who's released a number of albums. She can't sing. She just cannot sing. It's <laughs> But she has released two albums. Two of her albums are... She sings ACDC or all (laughs) ACDC songs, and she sings ACDC again. Uh, Okay. We should have a little listen to Wing. Have a listen to this. Well, that that's Wing. I mean, did you ever think you'd hear Hell's Bells sung like that? Not really. Not bad, eh? Not bad. Okay. I'm, I'm amazed
0: that we could find Hell's Bells sung by Wing, to be honest. Oh, well. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm going with something a bit more mainstream. And uh, albums, good albums of 1976. Well, oh, yeah, there are quite a few. Or notable albums. Uh, Rush had an album every year in the in uh, over this period. Twenty one, twelve. Uh, didn't wasn't huge here, but uh, pretty iconic album in the Northern Hemisphere. The one of the concept albums, and that did very well for them. Uh, Boz Skagg's Silk Degrees. Uh, mm. which I I remember buying. Um, as an eleven year old, was the lead a shuffle on there? Uh, it is. Uh Boston's self-titled debut that Of course not
2: as horrible as the rest of their stuff.
0: with more than a feeling. Well, I actually uh, bought their follow-up album Don't look Back and I love the song Don't Look Back Still. And of course, I, I was never a fan, but ABBA's arrival was absolutely huge in this country. But I couldn't go past Finey, uh, once again, the mighty Akadaka. Akadaka. By and, Wing? Uh, not by Wing, by themselves. Uh, and the album, of course, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. And there were two pretty different versions of this album, one for the overseas market, one for Australia. For some reason, the overseas version didn't have Jailbreak on it, but. Um, uh, other tracks of note, Ain't No Fun, Problem Child, um, easily A C D C's worst song, Big Balls, uh, Ride On, which is a real bluesy, slow burning classic, and uh of course Jailbreak, absolute classic track. Beautiful. So pretty big album, Dirty D's done dirt cheap. Uh for its time, I think oh look, you know, there's nothing groundbreaking about Akka but boy they could rock. So That's my album of 1976. Let's hear your movie.
2: Okay, special comments, my sort of runners-up award. I love The Omen, which was a 1976 movie, scared the bejesus out of me. And Don's Party, which is an absolute. Ah, yeah, forgot about that. Yeah, Where else can you get somebody wearing a tankard around their neck for... But, Graham you know, Kennedy, yes. Yeah, but there's great scenes of, you know, having sex with some, you know, getting caught. All set to the election.
0: 69 election. Yeah, so
2: it was a pretty good film version of the famous play by Williamson. But this movie is extraordinary. It holds the record for the most rejections by the Australian Censorship Board. It had many attempts to be said, to be passed, but they kept on not passing, and it was supposed to be shown first in 1976 in Perth at a film festival. The police came and actually closed the film festival down, and I ended up just seeing it. I'm just watching TV one day about four years ago, and this movie starts. And I like Japanese movies. It's actually a French-made... It's French-directed, French movie, but it's made with Japanese actors and in, in Japan. It's called In the Realm of the Senses. And I sat there and watched, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. First of all, I loved that it took you into the geisha houses and the bathhouses and the life of Japan in the 1930s. I like historical films. And it, I don't didn't know anything about geisha life, really and it was cruel and difficult and this was real geisha life which involved prostitution but with great ceremony and then the movie takes a turn because it becomes about obsessive love now what is what is it's not shocking about this movie but what is extraordinary about this movie is there are many scenes of unsimulated sex that is actual sex between the two main actors coitus and oral sex i didn't watch it for that it's not stimulating in in any sense, it, it it's part of the movie, but the movie is about Sada Abe, a real person. As a spoiler, I will not say what she's famous for, but it is an an amazing moment in not just Japanese history, but she she, she made the headlines for for a, a a ghastly, extraordinary reason, and equally extraordinarily became a national f- hero. Because in Japan, obsessive behavior and extreme behavior can be cherished. And her behavior was extreme and obsessive. And anywhere else in the world, she would have been sent to prison. But she was actually held up as an iconic figure to be admired. And it's an amazing story.
0: Well, uh, in the realm of the sense. Yes. Uh, now, I, I actually heard about this. When it was made, um, because well, my father, as you know, was a film, film critic. critic. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he also spent uh, several years on the Commonwealth um, Film Censorship Board of <laughs> oh, Review. Interesting. So, um, when there were uh, bans against films for classi- certain classifications and whatever, they would appeal, and uh, my dad was on the panel which decided whether they could, um, you know, downgrade the rating they'd been handed. And I think uh, he, I used to hear him talking about this, that film in the realm of the senses frequently. And I think it was often used as a measuring stick about, um, you know, when, when uh, films were banned for various things, everyone would say, well, hang on, what about in the realm of the senses?
2: The two most famous banned movies in Australian censorship history have been In the Realm of the Senses and Salo. And they are the two standouts. Salo I've seen, it's crap. And people who know it, people who've seen Salo, and hopefully that's very few of you, I'll say, pardon the pun, it was crap.
0: Yeah, well, Dad was on the on the board when Salo happened, and I still remember him uh, being on the 7.30 report in a debate with, uh, I think it was Julian McGoran, one of the uh, National Party senators, about, and uh, Dad was sort of getting portrayed as a dirty old man, he was, <laughs> which he wasn't. But uh, yeah, no, it was pretty funny that role. I remember, um, I remember once uh, having a few mates over. Dad used to fly up to Sydney for the censorship board of review meetings, and he got an early flight back one night. And uh, I think, um, I think, one my mates might have been watching an adult movie, and Dad's come in, and all the, my mates have sort of thought, "Oh no, what's going to happen?" And Dad said, "Oh yeah, yeah, what's that?" You know, and, and then one, and one of them asked, him, he said, "Oh yeah, I've just come back from a." A censorship, censorship uh, board review meeting, and they said, Well, what do you do? And he said, I well, basically sit around and watch pornos all day. <laughs> that was part of his job.
2: You know, with Salo, I went and went with a couple of friends to watch that because there was a huge controversy about it. At a picture theatre in Turak Road, South Yarra, not the track cinema, which was in Turak, there was one, an art house theatre further up Turak Road and we had to run the gauntlet because there were like protesters there. (laughs) Boo! Subjugation! Boo! Disgusting! I had a Bible thrust in my face.
0: Not for the last time. I'm tipping. Um, Alright, my movie. Uh, Now I mentioned A bumper year for movies. You mentioned a couple of good ones. I was going to say The Omen. I'd forgotten about Don's Party. But this was also the year of Taxi Driver. Yes. Rocky, which ended up winning Best Picture. Well, I I, I think Rocky's okay. Mm. Uh, Marathon Man. Oh, that was good. Uh, Is it safe? uh, Yes. One of my favourite films, Network. Peter Finch posthumously won an Oscar for that. I can't. Where is I, the mad... No, I'm um, saying,
2: what was his famous line? I can't take... Stan. I'm mad as hell and I won't take, take it, it anymore. anymore. Yep.
0: Uh, Logan's Run. Um, Peter Finks, by the way, was...
2: Do you know where he was born? Uh,
0: New Zealand. Wasn't he Australian?
2: Not Australia. I don't know, just so I found out he wasn't born here.
0: Yep. Okay. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention too, The Front, not as well known, but featuring Woody Allen about the blacklisting of... Um, the American uh, film community during the McCarthy witch hunts.
2: That's interesting. Cause, what,
0: did he make the movie Zelig? Yes, he did.
2: Was that also about the
0: same topic? Uh, no, it featured uh, the same actor, didn't it? Um, Zero mustel Okay. Yeah, Zelig was made in about 83. Anyway, <clears throat> this movie is not only my favourite movie of 76, but it's one of my handful of favourite movies of all time, and it is All the President's Men. Uh, Alan J. Pakula made this classic film about Watergate, of course, um, assuming a lot of people would have seen it. Great casting, Robert Redford as Bob Woodward and Dustin Hoffman as Carl Bernstein, the uh, ace reporters who cracked America's biggest political scandal. Uh, It's just an excellent movie, the attention to detail. Um, Other stars in it, of course, Ben Bradley played the editor-in-chief, Jason uh, sorry, Ben Bradley was the editor-in-chief, played by Jason Robards. And Martin Balsam played uh, one of the editors too, Howard Simons, his name was. But the way the story is told, and it's an incredibly complex, uh, difficult story to keep track of, but it enables you to do it. Um, like I said, the attention to detail. For a film that is basically about the art of reporting and and you know uh, meeting Sources and extracting information or whatever, it it has a way of remaining fast-paced and uh, action-packed. Deep throat, of course, their number one source. Uh, the man who appears in the darkened car park to pass on information to Carl Bernstein. Uh, that character is played by Hal Holbrook. Um, they were famous story. They were so concerned about the attention to detail because they worried about you know crusty old newspaper types picking holes in various things they were doing This I'm, I'm told this is absolutely a true story they would send someone over to the office of the Washington Post to pick up the rubbish after a day putting out the paper to take it to the set to display around the set because they wanted to recreate the feel of a newspaper office and there's a lot of films being made about journalism and newspaper offices that one is as good a depiction of life in a newspaper office as any film I've seen. It was made in 1976. Just a, a wonderful film, important story. It's told brilliantly. Um, I love everything about that film. Probably my second favourite film of all time.
2: Actually, that's a big call, but being a journo, I can understand where you're coming from. It's got that great ending. I think it's actually got it's not one of my favourite all-time movies, even mm. though I think it is a brilliant movie. Yeah. But it's got that fantastic ending, you know, where Robert Redford, because they're about to print the paper.
0: mm no, no, you're getting it mixed up. I know what you're saying. Is that
2: Three Days of the Condor? That's
0: Three Days of the Condor. I
2: get those movies mixed
0: up how all the time. How do you the know t- they'll print it? Yeah. yeah. yeah oh, is that no, Three Days of the Condor? That is. That is a great ending, too. No, but oh, okay. I, I oh. love the ending of All the President's Men because it
2: doesn't... I'm, I'm happy for that because otherwise this movie would have started with everybody being assassinated in the <laughs> yeah, office. Yeah, exactly. That is definitely Three Days of the Condor.
0: I, I love that movie, too. Yeah. Um, But no, how All the President's Men ends, because this is the thing. I mean, they, they ended up writing the story in... February 73 this is after spending 6 months getting all the information and as they're writing the big story they've finally sort of got the green light to basically tip a bucket on the entire Nixon administration the scene in the background is Nixon being sworn in as president after being elected in a landslide in 1972 and um then as that's happening the uh the you know the type comes up on the screen outlining what happened subsequently to that? And it wasn't until I think August 1974 that Nixon actually resigned in disgrace. Um, well, he would say not in disgrace, but you know it was a a long sequence of events, and it didn't have a nice sort of pat ending. But love that movie.
2: You know what would be a great double, a brilliant double? What to watch that movie and then watch Frost Nixon?
0: Oh yeah, I should see that. Yeah. Oh, it's magnificent, yeah, yeah, yeah. Frost Nixon. No, it's superb. It. Yeah. And it would
2: be a great follow-up to all the President's men.
0: All right. TV. Well, television. 1976 is our year.
2: Yeah. Uh, a TV. I'm going to Australia. My runner-up is Bluey. Oh,
0: hey, barge ass.
2: Yeah. Because I've got a great Bluey story, so I want to tell that. But my, for me, the winner was the Sullivans. I watched the Sullivans. Look, it was a very big program, wasn't it? It was.
0: It was massive.
2: You know, we followed them right out of suburban Hawthorne. All the way to the war. And Grace think,
0: and Dave.
2: Yeah, and, and Uncle Norm. Yeah. Uncle, um, was it Uncle Norm or Norman Yem? I don't know. Uh, Uncle somebody. But from, I think it taught a lot of young Australians a bit about the war, a bit about World War II, about the realities of it. I
0: think it was a very good,
2: a, a, well, a well cast and well um, historically portrayed series.
0: I liked it. I, I never actually watched it that, that, at all, but uh, I was aware of its presence.
2: But my, Bluey, I had a personal connection with Bluey that was so good.
0: Okay, tell
2: us. Well, one of my great friends, Greg Nader, tells me one day they're going to shoot Bluey at my place. He lived in Avalon Road in Armidale. Beautiful sort of Tudor house. And because we were very close friends, he said you can come back after school because they're still going to be filming. So I was the only one back then. So we're in his kitchen, behind like a rope, because they're filming, and he's sitting at their small dinner table, eating a T-bone steak, mashed potatoes, and they had some woman like prepare the food for him. And they did the whole scene, and a bottle of Courage Draft, and then the producer goes, look, we're just going to have to take some other angle shots. So for continuity, she'd made like two or three plates of this same food. He said something great, and he said it to me and Greg, because he was sort of standing up next this to us. Lucky girls. Yeah, he said something I'll never forget. It was so good. He was looking at me, and he goes, oh, no
0: problem with the steak. I don't know if I can knock off the mash again. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the look of him, he hadn't had too many problems knocking off Well, he off just the had plate. a
2: whole steak, made potatoes, and some carrots. <laughs> but he goes, oh, I'll have a go at the steak, but I don't know about the mash. <laughs> Anyhow, so we had about three steaks. And then they went out. They had to do the scene in the driveway, and they set off an explosive. They had an, a proper explosives guy there and whatever, and it was a real strong
0: blast. And I remember it wasn't Bajaj's backdoor blast. No, um,
2: he he left after that. After that eating scene, he he was sort of rushed away. But they did this blast with a with a car there, and then a blast. And I remember at the end, they were sort of packing up. This was already seven or eight at night. And they were apologizing prof- profusely because the blast had left this big black stain and taken a <laughs> bit of a, a chunk out of the driveway. And they were saying, saying to Greg's father, Bobby, Look, we'll, we'll pay for any compensation. For whatever damage we cause, we'll pay for the compensation. And he's going, Well, it's very serious. <laughs> And when they left, he goes, oh, I'm not going to touch the driveway, but we'll get a few bucks out of them.
0: Crawford Productions.
2: Oh, it was great, though. One of my favourite quotes, just him leaning over and going, don't know about the (laughs) mash.
0: All right, I can't top that. Um, But I'm going for another Australian Drama, and uh, this would be the only Australian soapy. I oh, know that's not true. I watched Home and Away for a while, but this was the first Australian soapy I got into. No idea why, but I remember got to the stage where I wrote my um, older siblings into it, and we'd all sit around, uh, sort of in mock uh, angst and, and surprise and horror at the latest developments in the Young Doctors. What <laughs> ran from nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty three. You know, your TV choices have surprised me in their banality. Well, because TV is pretty banal. Um, I'm I'm not going to. It, it it focused on actual medicine and and uh, medical drama about two percent of the time. The <laughs> other ninety eight percent time was basically who was rooting. her. wasn't there a famous wedding? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, there was there were several. Um, but there was the one that sticks in my mind was when. Uh, Rebecca Gilling, who played, I think, Liz Kennedy, married Doctor John Forrest, played by Alan Dale, <laughs> and it uh, was it was a, it was a they, theirs, theirs was a lovely romance, and unfortunately, she on their wedding night uh, was fatally uh, electrocuted by a lamp, a faulty lamp. <laughs> what in the bath? <laughs> um, no, I think it was just next to the bed. Um, other famous characters: Ada Simmons, played by Gwen Clum. Plum, uh, Dennis Jamison, the orderly, played by Chris King, Tanya Livingston, Judy McBurney, the great Cornelia Francis played the fearsome Sister Scott, uh, a, 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 a wonderful double for young adolescent males, Linda Stoner, who played Nurse Kim Barrington, and Karen Penny. remember Karen Penny Finey, who yeah, played yeah, Nurse she Sherry was that, Andrews, she was a big M girl, uh, she was also a penthouse model yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact she i'm pretty sure she was in the first australian <clears throat> playboy which uh i had someone buy for me at the age of 14. anyway uh absolute pap but uh very easy to get sucked into so i've gone for the young doctors very good is that it yeah. that is it
2: now i've got to say something i've, I've left this That's out like but...
0: you you haven't said much at all this uh, show Oh, I, yeah, I know our listeners rail against that. It's been that. very entertaining, come on.
2: All right, I read something this week and it was the highlight of my week. Can I please share it with you and the listeners?
0: Yeah, well, has this got anything to do with the segment?
2: Not with this segment, but with life, with everything. Okay. It's important. All right. A quietly spoken man, Wazim Akram has strong Australian roots. He married Australian woman, Shania Thompson, in 2013, four years after his first wife, Huma Mufti, died of multiple organ failure leaving him the single parent of sons Tamur and Akbar. How much time do you spend with Janeira in Melbourne? Wazim Akram answered. Not enough in the past 80 months because I love Melbourne. We'll be back in January for some beach time and I'll catch up on how my saints are going for 2020. I know we haven't won since 1966, the mighty saints. My father-in-law Tony and my wife said that barracking for St Kilda was a not negotiable part of me getting married to her.
0: Wazim Akram. Oh, How a, good's that? That's impressive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know we haven't won since 66.
0: Well, I think Ooh. Richmond, uh, not unusually at the moment, Richmond can probably top that having taken that uh, promo pick of uh, Virat Kohli wearing nah, a they, they, jumper. That's been going on for years. Put yeah. on a jumper, we'll take a photo. Yeah, well, um, Anna, he, he, Anna and Freda wore Carlton jumpers when Abba were here.
2: Yeah, Al McPherson, killed it. You know, there's, there's always, you know, that photo op. Yeah. But this is the real deal. He's married a Melbourne girl.
0: And no, he's no, been r- roped in, and he goes and watches killed her. That is impressive. All right, we have to move on. And now, Fonny, it really is time to rant. On Footyology,
1: the rant of. All
0: right, uh, plenty of diversions today, so we're not going to diverge on this one. I'm going to count you in, and you're going to rant immediately. Three, two, one, rant.
2: Okay, this is with apologies to any Gold Coast members and fans, that are still listening because I believe we've lost some as a result of my previous anti-Gold Coast sentiment. But I am finally aghast, I'm frustrated beyond belief at the lack of response by a thinking football public, that is, fans and media, to this next round of concessions given to the Gold Coast. I mean, this is a club that was created by the AFL, given a nine-figure stadium to play football in, given a wonderful platform with huge options given to them by by means of the draft where they had a number of top 10 picks over their first few years. They were handed the best player in the AFL, not only at the time, something ever in Gary Ablett. Jared Harbrow, another wonderful gift to the club as well as other senior footballers from AFL clubs. Some worked, some didn't but the bottom line is this club was given a flying start we were under the impression that the boat was equipped with all the mod cons but once it sailed from the shore it was under its own steam. And here we are in 2019 revisiting draft concessions. They've got the first two picks in this year's draft, Rowell and Anderson. They've got their own free SWAT at the Northern Territory. They've got enough draft picks coming up in the next couple of drafts to trade their way into a good position. And why? Because of their own incompetence. Now, what I don't understand is the lack of a a dissenting voice from somewhere in the media. I understand the media is contracted and most of the media are in some way connected to one organisation that is beholden to the AFL. You don't need to work it out or you can work it out, I don't need to tell you. The AFL CEOs and presidents have always bowed at the feet of big business. But how about football fans? How about you out there and me? And everybody else who barracks for a team somehow marching to the tune of the same drum. I remember when I was doing talkback on SEN, this topic would come up and people get lost in the AFL rhetoric. And I've heard it again, chat rooms and talkback saying, oh, it's a must that Gold Coast is successful. They need to succeed for a strong AFL. Well, hang on. Are you people getting a dividend from the AFL? Are you on a performance-based contract like Gill? Surely if you barrack for a football team, you say this, that when my team stuffs up, when my team does it wrong, we pay the price. Fitzroy paid the price into extinction. North Melbourne almost paid the price up north. And let's face it, Sydney paid the price by becoming the Swans, or South Melbourne did. And it was almost curtains for Melbourne Hawthorne and the likes of St Kilda and the Bulldogs at various times as well. We live and die by our success on and off the field. So why Gold Coast gets a second crack at it makes no sense and why any football supporter who barracks for a club that lives in the reality of live or die would support this move for Gold Coast is beyond me.
0: Well, very fired up. Very unusually serious for you. Well, uh, I think most people don't care. That's the sad reality. Well, they should care. Well, they should, but they don't. It's like climate change finding.
2: It's because it hasn't been presented to them as an issue by the AFL media because I believe well, we know that the AFL media has contracted into a into a small there are very few players at the top end at the top of the tree in AFL media. And everybody there knows where their bread is buttered. And they are they are operatrix of the AFL. We're not in a healthy position for dissenting voices when it comes to AFL management.
0: I certainly agree with that. Um, All right, I'm going to do... No, look, I think you made some excellent points there. Um, I think I would... No, I'm not going to get into that argument now because we've got to get on with it. Okay. Uh, You're going to count me in.
2: One, two, three. Good luck to you.
0: I'm pissed off with the end of this decade, Finey. It's nearly over, we're getting a flood of retrospectives about this or that field, and it's made me realise this. You know what was remarkable about the 2010s? Absolutely bugger all. Actually, I'll make AFL football an exception here, given that the 2012 and 2018 Grand Finals were among the greatest handful of all time, and 2016 gave us one of the best storylines when the doggies came from nowhere. As as discussed previously, soccer had Sergio Aguero. But cricket, tennis, racing? I can remember a decade-long flurry of activity, but the actual specifics? Can't bloody remember. Now, does that mean I'm getting old and perhaps the memory's getting a bit dodgy? Or that those sporting stories were just a river of blanc Well, as someone for whom self-doubt hasn't generally been an issue, Fanny, I'm going with the latter explanation. Forget sport for a second. What about the decade in politics, the arts, fashion... Politics? You know I wasn't a great fan of the likes of Bob Menzies or John Howard, but at least they hung around for longer than five seconds. We've had six different PMs in this country in the last ten years, if you count Kevin Rudd twice, which isn't something many people want to do. As for the current bloke, where is he? Half the country's on fire and ScoMo's gone missing in action. How good is that? As for the arts, well, musically speaking, it seems to me like we've had another 10 years of indistinguishable pop-pap or big rock bands from the 1970s still grinding out farewell tours. I think the Rolling Stones are still going. Charlie Watts is about 103 now. He might actually become the first drummer to do his stuff on stage with a full-time carer standing next to him in case he carks it. Movies? Well, there aren't any more unless they involve Marvel action figures. What number of Avengers are we up to now? 32? How many Iron Men? Geez, I remember the days when they said The Godfather 3 was taking it a step too far. As the TV, well, we all know the slippery slope reality television has sent us down. Have we done the reality concept yet which involves the making of a reality show? Why not? We've got Gogglebox, the show about people sitting there watching all this crap. The 2010s. I want my money back, Finny. I'm pretty confident there won't be a patch on the 20s. Let's see. The world's on fire. Nations are edging closer to the brink of another full-on global conflict. Sea levels are rising to the point we'll all be getting around in arcs in a few years. It's going to be action-packed. Now that will be a reality show worth watching if we're still around to do it. You were on fleek, my friend. On fleek. <laughs> on fleek. What does that mean again? On fire. On fire. That's okay. good. Thank you. I didn't. It's
2: depressing.
1: I didn't, uh, yes. so,
0: I didn't realize it was so bad but you nutshelled it quite well I'm doing a good uh, a good line in gallows humor these days finding for various reasons all right we're going to wrap it up there I think you've heard enough of us quite enough of us for another episode Thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it we'll be back. Next week, to take us out, it's my turn, Finey. Great for it. We are going to take this in turns. And we have played one track of this album already previously. Of course, going back to vinyl and video, my album of the year, Dirty Deeds 1976, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC. Let's take it out with a title track.